Today on the Stand Your Ground Show, welcome to our next episode on the ever-developing and continuing series on masculinity. Today, we're dusting off an old concept from the shed and shining some light onto it. What do generals, emperors, you, and the king of the north have in common? What made them great? Or what made them terrible? How does this apply to you right now? Listen on to find out. People have craved it since the beginning of time. The study of it has led to the development of an entire industry, including literature, news, academia, and business. No detail is too small, no stone unturned in discovering how to perfect it, and yet somehow we continue to find a lack of it, or in most cases, a poor example. You may be asking yourself, what is it I'm talking about? Well, it is leadership. No government, no organization, no social group can function without it properly. And whether leadership in the multitude of each of those areas is effective or not, we always find a way to criticize it or try to make it better. There are few roles that require such a dynamic ability as that of a leader to adjust, inspire, react, plan, anticipate, and execute. We as a society look for a leader. And when we identify one, we hold to the hope that he or she will lead us to where we wanna go. In some ways, our expectations of them are so high that they don't stand a chance to live up to the idols we have perceived them to be. And when we do see them for the human beings that they are, we begin to lose faith in them. There are few examples of this as relevant as our perception of elected officials in the United States. During the campaign, there develops a fervor for the candidate with essentially a coronation when they are elected and inaugurated and culminating in us criticizing every move they make from there on out. Now, I don't want to get too evangelical here, but I cannot help but assume that what we are really looking for is a savior, someone to save us from our struggles, our misery, our sense of emptiness. After all, a good leader can inspire us in the midst of all of that, right? So we project a Messiah-like image on those that lead us and excoriate them when they don't add up. Of course, we can't really be surprised if they're falling short when there has only been one perfect person in the history of the world. Our criticism may be towards someone like a president or the CEO of a company we work for, but ask yourself, are you doing the same thing to people you are closest to in life? Are you looking at a parent, a loved one, or a friend, and all too quickly thinking they let you down if they didn't lead you in a way that you think was best? For that matter, what exactly are we identifying as good leadership in any of these people? Are we even living up to our own standards? How often do we criticize people for not doing something that we ourselves don't already do? As men, we are called to lead, even in the smallest of ways. Yet if we are being honest, we fail to do that all the time. It's always easiest to criticize those in leadership positions, and it's time we change that. I'm not saying there are not a lot of bad leaders out there. There are, and we should point it out and, if necessary, stand against it. But the purpose of our show tonight is to talk about how we as individuals can be better leaders so that we become the solution and not a part of the bigger problem. Let's actually take the road less traveled to do the hard thing, but the right thing and begin to become better leaders ourselves. Today, we are going to start with taking a look at what leadership really means. I'm not talking about conceptually, I'm talking specifics. What should we be doing as men on a daily basis to better lead those around us, even if we aren't considered the leader? 
Then we are going to take a deeper look at what it makes a leader good or bad and use some of the examples throughout history that illustrate these different traits and results. By the end of this show, you will not become a perfect leader. It's not possible. But by identifying and discussing some core traits, skills, and actions we can each work on, we can all take steps to become better leaders every day. Good evening, and welcome to Stand Your Ground Show. I'm Jackson, and with me tonight are Tommy, Jacob, and making one of his rare appearances in the flesh, ladies and gentlemen, it's Bram. He's back. Like, it's not rare. I just happened to go on a vacation and and take an exam. I mean, you're one for one so far. So. One for one. That's true. We have only released two episodes, and he has been on one of them. So he's at a 50% attendance release rate. You know, if you were a quarterback in the NFL, that would be a huge rating. I'd be failing at Baylor, though, with their attendance policy. So <laughs> whatever. We'll make it up. <clears throat> but it's good to be back. It's good to be back. Feel solid. Ready to hit this topic. Good. Feel rested. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A week Re- off will do it for you. Ready to talk about leadership? <laughs> yeah. Isn't everybody? All the time. All the I time. love I love talking about leadership. Yeah, this is actually one of, I think, all of our favorite subjects to mm-hmm. talk about. There's so much to just go back and forth with. I mean, everybody has different opinions on it, but, you know, there's there's a lot of different things that we can really get deep on. Let's go ahead and just kick it off. So, Jacob, we have countless examples throughout history of instances of really good leadership and absolutely terrible leadership. Why is it that regardless of which side of the political spectrum someone falls on, we can all agree that right now we are lacking good leadership? Well, in your pretty intense intro slash monologue, that was very good. I think I'd like to bring it back to something you talked about, which is that we have a distorted view of what leadership actually is now. And anyone feel free to chime in on this because I don't have the the topic fully thought out, but I think that what we view, regardless of political spectrum, number one, I don't think that leadership is necessarily relegated to the political spectrum. I think it can be personal, it can be professional, it can be political, it can be pretty much anything. But whatever it is and whatever aspect it takes the form of, we don't have the accurate view of what leadership should be. Everybody, like you said, has tried to attach a savior-like messiah mantra to all of these leaders, and we're all human, like you also said in it, and so they're going to fall short. I think today, the the leader, right, and I'm gonna use politicians here as an example, because they're just, you know, this low-hanging fruit. They're the easiest ones to use. 100%. But they don't, actually inspire anybody to accomplish objectives. We can get into to my you know, definition of leadership in a little bit here, but they just basically give orders and say whatever they need to say to stay in power. That is not what leadership is. Leadership is not about power. It's about accomplishing a mission. And everybody today pretty much just takes whatever information the leader gives them, then buys into whatever the leader says. And so we see a lot of so-called leaders today just dictating orders. That's not leadership. They see their teams as sheep to be led as opposed to real people to actually lead together in a mission. I think like you, you look back to, we were watching Band of Brothers uh, a couple clips earlier today. Those are leaders, right? A, a band of brothers is a very good way, I think, to describe a team. And you don't have that in today. Nobody is united in a common goal. Nobody is bought into the mission. Everyone is just sitting there taking orders 
and hoping that the person that's in the leadership role is going to just tell them what to do. Yeah, I think we've either done one of two things. Either we've, like Jackson said, overly simplified what leadership is to try and turn it into some pill that you take and you can turn yourself into a leader by obtaining a few traits or we've mythologized it into people that are once in a lifetime that you'll never be. And so you just need to fall in line and follow them. Right. And so both camps have either understated some portion of it or way overstated what a leader looks like, especially whenever it comes down to individual leadership, leading in your household or leading in your church or whatever other aspect other than the, you know, the, the great general or the great leader in history or Jesus, you know, we, we've, we need to get past that, find a middle ground and remove the mythology, but also realize it's a lot more than a few things on a piece of paper that you can just sort of implement into your life day one and have it. Well, it's bringing back the concept of teams. You know, yeah. there is no, there's no teams anymore. And I will give, you know, as dumb as athletics have, have gotten, sports teams still understand this. You know, there is a very specific role in a football team for a receiver, and there is a very specific and different role for a quarterback. However, both of those roles working in tandem hopefully result in completions and a touchdown. We don't have that in a lot of other things. What were you going to say? You can take that to an even deeper level, though, because what happens there is there's an interdependence on each person doing their job and counting on each other to be able to do that. Leaders today don't look at things of I'm we're interdependent, me, the person that is the leader, you, the person that I am leading to work together to achieve a goal. What they're doing is they're saying, I'm in leadership. I have my own interests, whether they're personal interests, agenda, item interests, whatever it may be. And I want those achieved. So I'm going to manipulate you however right. I can in order to be able to get you to fall in line to do what I need you to do. That's the opposite of what teamwork is. It's honestly the basis of selfishness. Yeah, the manipulation is not inspiration. It's two very different. One is selfish and one is selfless. Mm -hmm. And I think we see a lot of the selfish type of leaders now. And honestly, it's kind of our fault because we've allowed these people to into their roles, whether it's a CEO, whether it's a, you know, whether it's a mid-level manager. I mean, Mm -hmm. they will say whatever they need to say to get the team to do whatever furthers their objective, whether it's a promotion, whether it's to stay in an elected position, whether it's to stay in a position of power, whether it's to in a, in a husband-wife relationship to get the wife to do what they want them to do. And so I think it, it's kind of on us because we just take whatever information is given to us. And we've talked about this, about how scrolling through TikTok is not news, reading headlines is not news, but so many of us do it that it's created this vacuum where some pretty negative people are allowed to step in and fill it. So it sounds like there's a dichotomy there of you have leaders that are really only serving their self-interests and you have followers that either aren't paying attention or aren't really thinking about what they're being led to do. Yeah, and I'll, I mean, I'm sure we're gonna talk about this in a little bit, but I'll, I'll broach it now. I mean, I remember when I used to work and, and lead with pretty big teams, big being, you know, seven to 12 people. Anybody who had any perspective that was different than mine I forced them to say it out loud because regardless of what they thought, whether they thought it was dumb, whether they thought it was smart, whether they just didn't like me and wanted to poke holes in my plan, whatever it is, information is always good. And if they have the silver bullet that blows my plan to smithereens, I absolutely have to have that. And as a leader, you have to have all of those perspectives. 
We just don't see that nowadays. There's a lack of encouragement of information. The creation of the echo chamber in everyone's lives has basically made people who want to challenge culture, who want to challenge opinions, instead of discussing the challenge and becoming better people, they're demonized. And so again, it's our fault. We've allowed we've allowed it to happen. And so now I think it's time for the pendulum to swing the other way. So we see constant examples of bad leadership. We have almost idealistic images of specific leaders that were really good and we prop them up on a certain pedestal and then measure everybody up against them. But let's kind of back up for a second and talk about good leadership, right? We can easily point to bad leadership. Everybody has an opinion on that and some things are just evident, plain as day, and we all know bad leadership when we see it. But then what are some things that point to good leadership? Are there traits or their actions? I mean, what, what makes leaders good? So what I did this week, whenever I saw this outline come out, I went outside myself and I saw people that were either leaders or at least viewed me as a leader in their life. And I got five people to give me whatever they thought a leader was. Because again, we talked about everybody thinks it's a list of traits or this overly idealized individual. And so I wanted to find out what is the consensus and what are the motifs I can notice when they give me this list. And what I came up with was a list of about five characteristics of a leader. Less traits, more learned. Leaders, I strongly hold to this, they're not born, they're made. These are the five. The first one is the ability to gain and maintain awareness in the specific context that you're operating in. Jocko recently did an interview and he, he goes over one of the first lessons he learned on the SEAL team and it was really impactful where he and his team were all focused on a hill where they heard fire and nobody was making a decision. And he was the only one to take a step back, look at his surroundings, analyze and make a decision even though he was the newest guy on the team. The massive characteristic of a leader is the ability to take a step back, realize what situation they're in, and maybe the answers that they have in the other situations don't apply, and then effectively make that decision. So basically being able to like zoom out to the 100 foot view. Yeah, and have the awareness in a stressful situation where you've trained yourself, again, it's a training to pull yourself back. If you're in a situation that's stressful and all of a sudden you start to feel your blood pressure rise, you take two steps back and you yep. say, I'm gonna look at this, and I'm not gonna make another move until I understand exactly where I am, what the context is. And that's a learned thing. It's not, you know, somebody's not born with that, where they understand every context that they're in. You learn that over a period of years. Well, and you can do that in anything. Absolutely. Too. I mean, you can do that in if me and you were arguing and I get my, my hackles start to come up and I'm ready to come out swinging. The reaction to not do that, take a couple seconds to think and analyze, oh, his point here is correct, but he's saying it in a wrong way or his delivery's off, or maybe my point is just straight up wrong, and then having the character to, I guess, course correct based off of that. Yeah, and I, I think my dad said it best whenever he quoted the seven traits of a highly effective leader ah, or something like that. Anyways, it's, a silly, it's a silly book, or, you know, whatever. It's a good book. It's a good I, book, but yeah. um, he said, if you lean the right ladder up against the wrong wall or vice versa, you're wrong. And you yeah. need to be able to figure out what ladder you need and what wall you're leaning up against before you can make a decision. Yeah, it's like this square peg in a round hole or whatever yeah. that analogy is. If you're trying to assemble a piece of furniture and you're using the wrong tool, you can't force it. Yeah. It's not going to work. Yes. Yeah. It's the ability to be adaptable to the situation. Mm -hmm. Right. You can't go into the situation and expect what you thought was going to work to work if the situation has changed. Yep. I like it. So situational awareness, bird's eye view, mm -hmm. solid. So the second one I 
distilled out of all of these responses was the ability to formulate a contextualized direction. So you've seen your context and you pick a direction and you know it and you own it and that's your direction. So you are able to create order out of chaos in that situation. So would you say that's more having conviction or is it more being decisive or is it both? It, I believe it's both because I, you're in the situation, you may or may not be right in what you're doing. You don't know that. Whenever we were just talking about that Band of Brothers scene, whenever Spears told him to mortar that house, well, they hit it on the first mortar round and he was already running down. Well, what if the mortar missed? What if they missed three mortar rounds? Yeah. And he was down and now there's no leader. He didn't do that though. He trusted those three guys on the mortar. He grabbed a guy and he ran and he was the first one to run and he stuck to his plan. He knew it and everybody saw him and they followed him. And so you know your direction. It may or may not be right, but you have confidence in it. Mm -hmm. And so it, you know, it, it's your ability to trust your own decision, whatever that is. The third one, and this came from the leader of our life group. He used Jesus as the example for this and he used the parables. Jesus was really good at creating narrative through story. He gained consensus because he, he knew the context he was in. He knew the Pharisees were there. He knew everybody there was Jews. And so he knew what he was operating in. He knew his direction because he got it from his father. And he created story narratives to gain consensus. And he challenged a lot of people's ideas at the time. But he had that ability to, because he's got himself, he knew exactly how to do it perfectly. But he created a story narrative that drove his direction straight into their hearts. There's a lot of studies that have been done of characteristics and traits of leaders. And one of the things that keeps coming up is you have to lead with the head and the heart. And with the heart, it's motivating people. And one of the best ways to motivate people is to basically illustrate your vision in ways like telling stories. Like relatability as well. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and some of the best leaders that I've had the opportunity to, to work under have been the ones that are able to maybe use personal stories to communicate their vision or just tell an overall analogy in a certain way that really gets you to grab onto what they're trying to do. And it gives you a sense of almost buying into it and committing to that vision because it's like, oh, I can relate to that. I get that. I want to buy into it. So storytelling is a huge trait for leadership. Yeah. I mean, we have literal books, Aesop's Fables, Greek mythology, the Bible. There's so many different ways and examples, I think, of communicating information to get people to buy into certain value sets. Yeah. Instead of just, here's your order, let me write it down, let me give it to you. Well, oral history was a huge part of human history. And since we have YouTube and books and history classes, we've kind of lost that. Right. We go to text and we read the, the literal actual account, which is good, but we've lost that ability to take that account and turn it into something that somebody can relate to. We've lost that over time. And I don't know why, maybe it's because we've become more technology focused and we're communicating through mediums that aren't verbal and, and personal, but some part of that's been lost. Social interaction, because I mean, I still remember back in my time at AT&T, there's a very huge difference between getting an email and having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with your boss face-to-face. -face. Oh yeah. This yeah. is huge. I mean, the one-on-one -on -one is gonna be more effective every single time. Absolutely. Now the next one, and this comes once you've driven that narrative and you've obtained that consensus through that narrative and that story, people have to trust you. You have to drive trust. And the way that leaders do that is through credibility. Now, whether that's previous experience, you have a track record, or 
that you're known for doing what you say, whatever that looks like, again, it's hyper contextual. It's based on the scenario. It's based on you. It's based on the people you're leading. You must generate trust. Every, and people. every single scenario is going to be different. Absolutely. Which is why you have to have situational awareness. Yeah. And you know what? In addition to the selfishness and self-serving interests that we were talking about, especially when we're looking at elected officials, I think this is one of the areas that there is a huge breakdown between constituents and politicians. Right. Because yeah. they either have let us down time and time again, or we find them not doing the things that they say that they're about or whatever that is. And, and it's not just politicians because it is human nature for people to skirt having to do their own responsibilities. But that's a huge deal is who, who are you going to want to follow? The one that's back there telling you to, to do certain things that you don't really know that you want to do or the guy that's right there with you saying hey i got you we're locked arm in arm and we're going to get this thing done well and think about it in just friend relationships i mean everybody's got that friend that's a flake mm -hmm. right and so when you're looking to hang out with somebody go do something whether it's golf any kind of sport just come over and hang out you are going to text the friend that you know is going to be there or the friend that you know is going to be there early get the table at the restaurant have everything set up for you as opposed to the friend that you're going to be on the way to the restaurant and then bails on you at least show up. That's a big thing with trust. You're the guy who shows up. Now, the last one, and this one came from my dad. He was big on this. Nobody else mentioned it, and I agree with him, and I'm sure everybody in this room is going to agree too. Uh, he said, don't be afraid to fail. He said, the, the guy who, or woman, the woman or man that pushes forward and seeks a breaking point of their plan or direction, pushes it until it breaks, pivots and keeps going to fail as many times as they can that's going to be the most successful person in the room well there's the saying you you don't just get success you have to fail your way into success yeah the successful person is the one who failed the most yep first <laughs> well i think one of the most harmful for this situation one of the most harmful phrases in american society is failure is not an option mm -hmm. failure is always an option failure mm -hmm. is probably the most common option we have that's how you learn through mistakes when I was in college on our football team, we had these things called game maxims. Mm -hmm. And they were seven different bullet points that we would literally recite before every single game. And it seems really corny right now, but if you see, there are teams that do this still. And if you see them doing it, it gets you amped up. There's two that really stick out to me. And the first one is if the game or breaks go against you, don't let up, put on more steam. And what that meant was if things are not going your way, find a way to fix it and keep moving and push even harder. The second one was play for and make the breaks. And when one comes your way, score. We are constantly looking for those really minuscule windows of opportunity in our lives. The ones that become great, whether it's great in history or just great at what they do or just great at who they are. It's the people that take advantage of those opportunities in the right way to make themselves get through it to the next level. I'll give you a personal example. And me and my doubles partner were playing a match last week and tennis is very, very mental. And especially in doubles, there has to be a very good communication stream between the two partners. If someone's messing up on something, it's the other person's responsibility to point it out, bring them back. So in serve returns, I'm not good at those. And if I get on a bad streak of serve returns, I start to tense up, I start to play careful. That gives the opponent all of those windows of opportunities to take advantage of. So there was a, a time when I was doing that and my partner goes, hey, just smack the ball back at him. Stop tensing up, stop, just go attack. And I had to check myself and I was like, yeah, 
You're right, because I, I can whip out a mass return when I when I can. We were down in the game, I think, three points. Next two returns I had, I just whipped the ball right back at him. Clean winners. We ended up coming back and winning the game. If he hadn't told me that, probably wouldn't have happened, which is a great example of, of receiving some good leadership. Yeah, so those are the five that are distilled out of the responses. Now, there were a whole bunch more, and I think the most interesting thing that I got personally from it was the emphasis of each responder. I had a man in corporate America. I had a, you know, beat up alley cat business owner that had failed a million times and was finally starting to make it. My wife, <laughs> a, a, you know, very important part of my, my Absolutely. life. Yeah. And then I had one of my coworkers who's in a similar position as me. And I had them all respond. A couple of things outside of the five that I mentioned, aside from pushing for failure, there was prepare for disappointment. And it was it was mostly an interpersonal disappointment. People are going to betray you and you use Judas and Jesus as an example. Judas was there the whole time. Obviously, Jesus knew what was going to happen. He told Judas what was going to happen. But whenever you have that happen, don't be afraid to cut people out of your life. So it was interesting. He had that view. Now, going to my wife, this was kind of telling because I don't really match up to her definition of a leader <laughs> in a lot of ways, which was nice. very telling. And I'm pretty sure she pointed this right to me because a lot of these things are not me. And what she focused on was knowing your direction and sticking to it. In, in my mind, in a lot of leaders' minds, it may not be the best decision. It may not be totally planned out, but you trust it. Her definition of leader falls in the mythology camp where it's this person that's a perfect planner. Interesting. I think leaders, whenever they follow their decision and they stick to their direction, can look like that a lot of the time, especially once they've become experienced in doing that. And I'm not there. <laughs> right. I am not there as a leader in my household. I don't know everything. We've only been doing it for a year. I, I hold that in my mind now whenever I'm making decisions for my family, this thing that she's told me. I, I think it's really impactful to hear these things. And I, that's something I learned from this process is that getting people to tell me what their definition of this thing that I want to become changes who I am. And then the last one, and I, and I thought my coworker would go a different way with this. He hit heavy on the emotional intelligence, empathy, the idea that a leader understands themselves so well that they can understand others. I think that's a more advanced concept. I think there are some people that can become that more easily than others. It's still a very important thing, but that's very contextual. What I think also emotional intelligence is, is, a huge part of being a good leader, but it's also a topic that we should cover in another episode. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's like, that's a huge rabbit hole. Yeah. But that, that's what I got from this. And I thought it was really a, a great exercise. It's it awesome. Yeah. Well, and, and you can boil it down to empathy mm -hmm. with that, right? You, you cannot be a good leader if you're always trying to lead from the ivory tower. Yeah. You have to be there with the people that you are leading understanding their doubts, concerns, strengths, weaknesses, hopes, everything. Because the more that you can understand about how they operate, the better you can lead them. And that doesn't come from being removed. You have to be there with them. You have to be connected. You have to have a relationship with them. So relationship is very key. Massive. For well, it's, it's, you know, it's leadership is inspiring others to accept and achieve goals. So you don't, you're not going to inspire somebody without knowing them and having empathy for their position and knowing what their goals are. Yeah. And I, I, I strongly believe that the first five that we talked about are like the basic building blocks that you can actually practice. The rest of the stuff that I mentioned was just interesting tidbits that I think are subsets of those. So, but that, that was a fun experiment. You know, one of the things that keep coming to my mind when I think about leadership is the idea that people who are leaders are in positions of power. 
and the key word there is power, right? We think of leader, we think of powerful or, or yep. man of power, woman of power, whatever that is. And in our society, at least, a lot of times we look at the opposite of power, but really the idea of passivity or meekness. And that word meekness is something I think we should spend a little bit of time on today because I think that word continues to get used incorrectly. I get the sense that a lot of people don't really understand what that means. And so I think we should talk about it. So, Tommy, what is meekness and why is it so important in a leader? Well, meekness has been diluted from what it really meant. Meekness is simply power under control. When you have someone who's wielding power, they don't really know what they're doing with it. Power in and of itself is dangerous, but when it's wielded with completely reckless abandon, that's when it becomes deadly. When it comes to power under control, you can't really have that without control. You can't really have control of anything unless you have the knowledge and the ability to wield it not just effectively, but responsibly as well. How do you think that meekness has changed throughout the years? And what does it mean now? And how do you think we got here? What what they think of it now is purposely harmless. Oh, okay. Now they think you are so powerless that you're not a threat to anyone. And so they'll just kind of overlook you. And I think that's because with this inherent need to have to rein the power in, have it under control, comes discipline. Discipline is difficult. That's one of the easiest things to just kind of disregard. On that, Jordan does this thing on Carl Jung where he talks about Carl Jung's idea of the shadow self. And whenever he talks about it, he compares it between a wolf and a rabbit. Yeah, where he says that a rabbit is entirely harmless. Yes, so a rabbit cannot be morally good because it in itself can do no harm. But the wolf, on the other hand, wields great power and can kill the rabbit, can kill other wolves, can harm things. Yes, has great power. But if the wolf chooses not to use that power to harm the rabbit, it is doing good. It is doing a moral act because with the ability, he chooses not to. And so there's this idea that you have this restrained ability. You've made yourself the most dangerous person in the room, whether that's with your wit and intellect or your strength or your skills, you are constantly making yourself the most dangerous person in the room. You have a shadow self that has these dark capabilities, capabilities but it's always wielded with great restraint. You could so you, say with great power comes great responsibility. Let's think about it in this context. We're all familiar with the term, the meek shall inherit the earth, right? Now let's really draw out what that means. It's not saying that the most passive, harmless people are going to inherit the earth. What that's saying is even though you can, doesn't mean you should. So those who can, but choose not to because they choose to follow a greater path mm-hmm. shall inherit the earth. I have never thought of those two concepts combined. That puts a whole different perspective on that verse for me. Well, it's well, literally I mean, a quote from the Bible. No, well, I, is, I know. I, I, know I have yeah, heard. I hope you know that. Be as have, gentle as doves and as sly as serpents. Yeah. Like, that's it, a call well, to I mean, but, but that's I've never applied the definition of meekness being power under control yeah. to that, to yeah. those two verses. Absolutely. I mean, to, to the meek shall inherit the earth. That yeah. means... That does not mean that these weaklings are going to inherit the earth. That means that you got some powerful people that are going to be controlling the earth, but they, you can still be powerful and wield said power, like Tommy was saying, in order to benefit others, which I think ties into selflessness. Those people who are wielding great power, but just using it the right way, those are the people who are going to inherit the earth. Those are the meek. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that really falls in line with the actual ethos and, and way of living is based out of that book is just because I can do something doesn't mean that I should go do that. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
it doesn't mean that I'm immediately going to hell if I go do something. It means that I have chosen to follow a different, a better path. And for that, I gain strength in and of itself from having that self-control. But I also am wielding the power that I have been given or that I have developed to be able to use it for the right purposes. Well, I think that, and that ties into our values episode, right? I mean, if you look at a leader with contrasting value sets, with the same amount of power, one of them is a tyrant and a despot, and the other one is a hero. Neither of them are obviously perfect, but it's just an interesting dichotomy to digest, especially in context with the meek shall inherit the earth reverse. Yeah. That just that just reframes a lot of things in my head. Well, if you think about it, the difference between the person that is constantly using their power for their own gain versus the person that is power under control that is living meekly, it's wisdom. Mm -hmm. yep. It's being wise enough to understand when you need to do something because it needs to be done versus when you're doing something just because you want to do it and you can. Kind of back to a uh, point. If you are the rabbit, if you are harmless, you cannot uphold your values. Right, because you have no power to. You have no power to. You've given that up. And so if you are actually going to uphold your values, you must harness your own power to affect that. This is why we do this show is because this is the stuff that we need to think about as men. Yeah. Yep. Right. We have been told all too often that to be meek and mild men means that we are essentially harmless. Yeah. It's the beaten down husband who drives a minivan and carts his kid around and is a slave to the whirlwind in his life. And you none of control. those things individually are wrong in any way. However, Except the that, but the key there is understanding that going through life, living a meek life is not about just trying to be as harmless to others as possible. It is about strengthening yourself, but strengthening even more the control you have over your strong self. Yeah, it's still becoming a powerful man. It's becoming a, a good leader. And then it is using those appropriately. Yeah, and people see that too. And I think that lends itself to credibility, so. Absolutely. Oh, people get sense the difference between someone who knows what they're doing and someone who doesn't, or someone who is exercising the power they have versus someone who completely abandons it. Yep. So there's a lot of things that we've talked about today, and it's all been under the context of leadership. And I think there's so many key points that I hope can be taken and utilized. But let's kind of bring this down to the basics. If we're really being honest, as men, we're called to lead. It is a natural thing that we are each meant to do. That doesn't mean that we do it in a way that is harmful to others, but it means that we do it in a way that leads people around us to be better and to get to where they need to go. So we have to look at it from an individual perspective and think, okay, what am I doing to lead those around me? I might not be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. I might not be running for office anytime soon. That doesn't matter. You can still be a leader right where you are. So what can we do and what does that mean from an individual perspective to be a leader? I have a couple thoughts on this. I think the first one is checking your ego. It relates to what I was saying earlier about perspective, but good leaders welcome all perspectives. Like I was talking about with the team, if somebody has a silver bullet that's going to shoot your plan of smithereens, you have to have that information. doesn't matter what they think about you. doesn't matter what the delivery form of it is. You just have to go and get that. And then the other thing that kind of relates to what Bram was talking about is you have to have the confidence to go and carry out your plan because ego cuts both ways. You have to have the ego to go and do the plan. But then if that plan fails, you have to have the checking of the ego to recognize that and completely own it as your own failure. doesn't matter whose failure it was. And I'm going to talk about ownership in a second, but that part 
and then pivot. You have to be able to pivot to the next piece. And then again, you have to rebuild the confidence to go carry it out and figure out whether or not it worked. If it did, great, continue. If it didn't, check your ego, get more information, figure out why and move forward. I think the other thing this kind of relates to is the ownership piece of it, which is read a book, I think probably seven, eight years ago, great book. And it's all about talking about ownership. And as a leader, as a man, every single failure, regardless of who does it, is your failure. And that is one of the hardest things to accept. You have a team member who didn't get a deadline done on time for a project that you were working on. It's your fault that they didn't do it. It's not their fault. It's your fault. And you have a friend who, I don't know, you were supposed to meet at a restaurant and they didn't show up. They bailed on the last minute. Your fault. One of the hardest things to wrap your head around. But once you do it, it makes a lot of things more, I think, controllable might be the right word, but it reframes a lot of things in your head to where you can now accept responsibility when failures happen. And again, I don't view failure as a bad thing. I think failure is a learning experience and I push for failures. So the ownership description that you just described seems like a very hard pill for a lot of people to swallow. Well, I have more to say on it to make it even harder to swallow. Yeah, why is that so? Because every success that your team has is never your own success. It is always your team member's success. That same example, team member gets the project done on time, you're able to present whatever it is to management, leadership, whoever, it's their success. Thank God they got that project done on time. They're so great for doing that project. Literally, you just gave the information out. You were just a, a medium of communication. You might as well be an email server because the content was created 100% by that team. And deflecting that down and kind of emphasizing your team's success, I think that ties into a lot of the definition of leadership of inspiring others to accept and achieve goals, which really means kind of removing yourself from the equation of success, but also putting yourself as the entirety of the equation of failure. And I've seen very few people be able to swallow that pill. And being able to have that kind of ownership is demonstrating, as well as actually doing, the commitment that it takes to achieve the goals that you have set for your team yeah. and that your team is trying to reach as well. Yeah, I feel like examples are, are big parts of this. You have a team member who is responsible for a certain aspect of the business, a certain aspect of project or an event you're planning, whatever the case may be. They don't get their stuff done on time because they were waiting on a call back from somebody else, right? You have to have the fortitude to tell them that that is their fault. And immediately you get the reaction, oh, well, you know, I was waiting on the call back from this person. They never called me back. Well, that is your responsibility. You need to go call them and get that information. And then whoever you're reporting to, it's 100% your fault. So whoever the person was that didn't get the call back, doesn't matter anymore because you weren't able to do what you were supposed to do. And that is your fault and it is not their fault. And that is a tough conversation to have. But if you have the right people in your life, eventually people will start to buy into that and they realize it. And that's when really teams start to form and take off. The last thing I'll say is you got to have a mission. So again, Leadership is inspiring others to accept and achieve goals. If you have no goals, you're not gonna be a good leader. Nobody knows what to achieve. It's gotta be very clear and we could do a whole topic on goals, but you have to have a mission. You yourself have to believe in that mission to the point where you get others to believe in that mission. If you don't get the buy-in from whatever scenario you're in, you're not going to succeed. Yeah, so, I think yeah. my dad said it pretty well. He's like, if you have a bad dog, look who's holding the leash. Yeah, yeah. that's everything I just said summed up in one sentence. Absolutely. Yeah, I think the goal of every leader is to develop a team and eventually work themselves out of a job. Yeah. That's always been what my goal as a team lead has been because if you have an autonomous, smoothly functioning team, everything gets easier. Yeah. But it starts with all of this stuff.
stuff. And the good news about all this, everything that Bram talked about, everything that Tommy and Jackson and I have spoken about today, these are all things that you can actively develop today. You can start adopting the ownership mentality. You can start checking your ego. You can start developing confidence. You can start doing all of this stuff by just mentally recognizing situations. And it starts, like Bram was saying, I think it's super important to talk about. It starts about having that hyper situational awareness and being able to curtail your own ego, look at a situation from a hundred foot view, realize you might be wrong about some things, you might be right about some things, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because the mission is what matters. And you know what, let's put this in a real application here. Let's say you're at work tomorrow and you've got a boss that comes out and just chews you out for doing something wrong and you think he's totally wrong for doing it. What do you do? You own it. Yeah. You have to own it and say, that's my fault and next time will be different. And don't make the same mistake twice. That's my dad always told me. Yeah. In addition to that, take a step back, receive the feedback. This is really kind of looping in everything that we've talked about. Receive the feedback and then use that to continue in a different way forward. Yeah, and understand the context of the situation. You have to zoom out. Said boss is probably getting pressure from his boss or her boss because of something that you didn't do the right way. And you could have not been given the right guidance but then you didn't go ask, so it still boils down to you. You could have been given a completely improbable deadline, but you didn't ask to extend the deadline. You didn't go to your boss first and get his or her input on whatever it may be. Every single excuse you can bring up boils down to it being your fault if you play the scenario all the way through. And so you have to just humbly accept the feedback and do better. And that in and of itself is leadership, even in that position. You may not be the person leading others in that example, but you can still be a leader by demonstrating those traits to all around you because they're going to see that. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's a peer. They're going to see you take the feedback, step back, understand the context of what's really going on, figure out a new way to go forward. And the people around you are going to see not only the results that come from you doing that, but they're also going to see how you handle yourself in those situations. And it's going to then cause other people, maybe that are even your superior, to start to realize that they can trust you and that in a small way, at least, they can follow you. Yeah, absolutely. It only does good things to be humble and accept feedback. Whether that feedback is accurate or not, it's still good feedback because it's the perception you gave to that person. Another great example is, let's say you fail a test in school, right? Whose fault is that? It is your fault. But I see a lot of people, well, I wasn't given a good study guide. Well, I wasn't given the right tools that I needed. Nothing on the prep test was in the actual test. At the end of the day, it's still your fault. Own it. I've got a real example. The test I missed this podcast for, I did terrible on, actually. And I was in the completely shocked and emotional state and went through all of those excuses. The teacher didn't build expectations correctly. This wasn't taught. And then I sat down after about three hours of fuming and wanting to redecorate my walls with holes and started to look at how I studied. It was like, well, I purposely skipped over that because I didn't want to sit there and do that. I didn't do that problem three times. And that was exactly what was on the exam. So it all boiled down to me. Well, and it's funny too, because if you don't allow yourself that process, you end up just focusing on the excuses and you're going to mess up the exact same thing on the next test. And that applies to life as well. So there's a lot that we've discussed today. There's a lot of different things we can take home. Honestly, we could probably do an entire series on the concept of leadership. Well, the concept of leadership, there's thousands of concepts that all build on top of each other. So maybe we should do an entire series of leadership and just keep going with it, maybe in the future. But if there's one thing to take away, I think it's this from a very high level. Leadership is not only for a select few, it's for all of us. We may not be the great leader of our time in the eyes of history, but whether we lead a nation or lead a life, 
wife working nine to five job, we are called to act like leaders. And that comes with a set of responsibilities that are not easy to do. Being meek to me is a huge takeaway that I have from this conversation is the idea that we have to continue to strengthen ourselves, strengthen our resolve, strengthen our lives and our discipline in all areas of how we function daily, but also understanding that with that comes power. It's the ability to do something, but having the discernment and the wisdom to know not to do it. Or to know when to do it. Yeah. I think that ownership is something that really stands out to me. It's probably been the biggest lens shift for me in my life. Meekness is another thing that I'm going to have to go home and think about quite a lot. But I think one of the biggest things, if you want to take something away right now and start making pretty huge changes in your life for the better, it's ownership. It's knowing that everything is your fault. And if you succeed, then thank goodness for that good professor. Thank goodness for that good manager. Because you can manage ownership up and down the chain. And so I think that's probably the biggest impact. If you're starting to make some changes in your life, you're listening to this podcast, reading some books, ownership is where you can start. The biggest thing for me, and I've gotten it from each one of you, is introspection to start this whole process. We all know we're not there. And if you think you're there, you're not a leader. Great leaders know that they are not the end-all be-all. They know they don't have all the tricks in the book. And they know there's somebody out there that's better than them. And they're humble. And that humility drives achievement. And I've had to start doing this ever since I got married. Set aside time. And every time there's an argument or there's a disagreement or whatever it is, I have to take ownership, number one. But then once I know that I've got to take ownership, I have to act that out. And acting that out means look at myself, put myself in a position of I don't know best. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. And how do I get there? And setting aside time to introspect is it's been my biggest takeaway from this. It's an extremely powerful thing. Every Navy SEAL's got a book, but most of them start with getting up early, having your own time, thinking, set aside time to develop yourself, whatever that looks like for you. That's been my biggest takeaway. You know, I would issue a challenge to anybody that is listening, and that is to carry yourself day in and day out is if somebody is always watching what you do or how you do things. And honestly, somebody probably is always watching. It also means things like being kind to other people. We live in a world full of hate. One of the best things we can do as leader is to show kindness towards others when most people will not do anything like that. And honestly, it means standing for your values. Even when you feel like you're being attacked from every direction, the leaders are the ones who will stand in the midst of that chaos and find a way to go through. I've heard the phrase, leadership is not for the faint of heart. And that is a very true statement and we've discussed a lot of that tonight if we're to be leaders in some way we have to recognize that it starts with looking at our own lives and identify ways to strengthen ourselves and i'm not talking about some toxically masculine demeanor where you're trying to show others how strong you are but that the strength that we develop within ourselves can show others that we lead our lives in a certain way and that they can too and hopefully if enough of us actually start doing this we'll quickly find ourselves living in a world of good, strong leadership that we're a part of, even though that may seem impossible. The takeaway for me is when it comes to leadership, you can't be the rabbit. You have to harness your power, whatever that may be. You cannot just sit idly by and be passive. You have to become the leader. Yeah, it's an active thing. It's not a passive thing. You have to take action in order to develop yourself. Inaction leads to complacency. Complacency is the enemy of everyone. Yes, exactly. So that's all that we have for tonight. Thank you for joining us on the Stand Your Ground show, and we look forward to seeing you next time.